All right. Well, grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have your Bibles with you, grab your neighbor. No, don't grab your neighbor's Bible because that would be um, impeding on their physical distancing. So don't do that. But if you have your Bibles and we're in 1 Peter, you can take your Bibles and turn there. We're in 1 Peter for the next couple of months. And so uh, if you want to get that well worn out, if you've got one of those little uh, tabs in your Bible, you can certainly put that in 1 Peter. Um, I do that. See, 1 Peter. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm smart. Um, so you can do that. I preach from a New Living Translation. So if you're following along with a different translation. That'll explain some of the differences maybe, and uh, we'll talk about some of the other translations and, and maybe even go into their Greek once in a while. But we love to dig into God's Word together. First uh, Peter is a letter that was written to Christians in Asia Minor uh, way back in the day, and yet it's still relevant for us today. So all right, you youngsters, now that you have First Peter in your Bibles, I want you to just sit back and, and uh, gather around your internets because Grandpa Nicholas is going to tell you story about the good old days, <laughs> way back in the previous millennium, in like 1989 or something so long ago and far away when the internet was still the wild, wild west, there's a guy named Jeff Dixon, and he unleashed a poem upon the world wide web that was one of the first poems to go viral. All right, in his Hacks Are Us online forum. Hacks Are Us, that sounds real trustworthy. The poem is spread far and wide. It's been attributed to various authors, so anyone from the Dalai Lama to George Carlin. Boy, did you ever think those two would get mentioned in the same sentence? I didn't. Um, an unknown Columbine student. How many of you remember Columbine? That was awful. Um, or that most prolific of internet authors of all time, Anonymous, right? Well, this poem is not anonymous. It was actually, we can trace it to a sermon that was by Dr. Bob Moorhead at Overlake Christian Church in Seattle, Washington. So like most preachers, he just doesn't get credit for it. People uh, steal it and then use it because they don't want to give a Christian guy credit. So anyways, I abridged it a little bit because in its, entirely it's about 13 minutes long. So it's half my sermon, which I just didn't want to give up. So I abridged it, but you'll probably recognize parts of it. Dr. Bob says this, we have taller buildings and shorter tempers, wider freeways and narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but we enjoy it less. We have more conveniences yet less time. We have more degrees and less sense, more knowledge but less wisdom, more experts yet more problem, more medicine yet less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get too tired, read too rarely, watch TV too much and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions and reduced our values. We sign more contracts only to realize fewer profits. We talk too much, love too seldom, and lie too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to our life but not life to our years. You've probably heard that before. We've been all the way to the moon and back but have trouble crossing the street to meet our neighbors. We've conquered outer space but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. These are the times, he says, of fast foods and slow digestion. Tall men who are short on character, steep in our profits and shallow in our relationships. These are the times of world peace and domestic terrorism. More leisure and less fun. More kinds of food and less nutrition. Fancier houses and broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, cartridge living, throwaway morality, one night stands, overweight bodies, and pills. 
that do everything from cheer to prevent to quiet to kill. These are the times when there is so much in the show window and nothing in the stockroom. These are the times. Now, I edited that poem, and I made it a little shorter because of your short little attention spans. So, but, but even as I was thinking about that whole thing this week, it really resonated with me. There's one phrase. I think we have it up there as well for you guys. We have conquered outer space, but not inner space. That's the one thing that kept uh, hitting my mind as I was preparing my sermon this week. We have conquered outer space, but not inner space. I want you now to listen to the voice of God. I want you to hear your creator, the God who loves you, as he speaks these words through Peter. He says, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. The word of the Lord. We do live in unusual times. Just like those believers way back in the first century lived in unusual times. They believed in Jesus, but man, were they ever outnumbered by unsaved and unbelieving friends and neighbors and relatives all around them. The movement had just started to take off. Christianity was still such a small group of people, and they were scattered, and then they couldn't get together. And, and you know, those those things that we all talk about, those moments that we love when when 10,000 men gather in a stadium together, all of them Christians and all of them singing promise keeper songs. This, these guys couldn't do that sort of a thing. They were being persecuted, vilified, and, and being slandered. They were getting all sorts of things going on because of their belief in Jesus. Not because they were awful Christians who were judgmental of everyone else and not following all the rules themselves. Like, like no, they were being slandered because of their faith. Because they, they stuck out and they were different. They were, they were strangers in a strange land. They faced a persecution that you and I will probably never face in our lives. I mean, you read about it. Maybe you have it on your Facebook feeds, Compassion International, and you're praying for, for pastors in China or North Korea or in parts of the Middle East who get arrested and, and all sorts of terrible things that happen to them because of their belief. But, but for you, you've never really experienced that. So you don't even know if, you're, if your persecution is going to make your faith disappear because your faith has never been tested. And so Peter's words for these group of people are God's words for us this morning. You are strangers in a strange land. If you're fitting in with the world around you, if you're trying to fit in with your unsaved neighbors, then, then you're doing faith wrong. You're, you're doing it the wrong way. You're supposed to be different, to think different, to act different. You have this living hope for the next life that is always going to make you slightly uncomfortable in this life. 
please do not get too comfortable in this life. And those moments for, for you Christians when you're feeling that, that there's still something missing. You, you believe in Jesus and you're still missing something. Of course you are. You're missing eternity. And there's nothing that you can find here on earth. There's no drug. There's no, there's no panacea. There's nothing that you can do that will give, get rid of that feeling of angst. Because angst is normal for a Christian. We haven't been created for this broken world. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming for us. And so we have this living hope in this next life that always makes us a little uncomfortable in this life. But you put your hope in Jesus, the living hope of Jesus, the fact that Jesus in you is working something for you. And, and, and even if you have to face some opposition for your belief system, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It, it, it's not going to be the end of the world. And you start thinking about maybe some of the difficulties or the trials that, that you've been asked to go through. And you just got to think to yourself, you know what? It's like gold that's being refined in the fire. And the gold of my faith is going to show through in the middle of these trials. That's, that's what happens. And yeah, it's difficult to understand it all. I get you. I don't get it all the time either. I mean, Peter says it mystifies the prophets and it baffles the angels. So of course we don't fully understand it. But we have faith. You can walk this walk. Little Christian weirdos. You can do this. Okay? You, you can do this. Christ is in you. He's your hope of glory. Jesus believes in you. And so that's what Peter is saying to these people. And that's, that's what I want to start off by saying to you. You have Jesus in you. You can do this. You can do this. Now here's the thing. If you really do have this living hope in you, uh, you recognize that it, it didn't come from anything that you did. You recognize that at some point in your life, you were lost in darkness. You were angry, rebellious, full of pain, lashing out at all sorts of people. And God, in his great mercy, went into the darkness looking for you. You didn't go looking for him. He came and found you. And he found you in that darkness. And he shone his light in your life. He's the only hope that you have now here's the thing, yeah, he found you in the darkness, but you're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to be changed by the light. You're supposed to walk towards him as he's come to find you, and then he says, Christian, come follow me. You get up and you follow him out of the darkness and out of the pain and out of the misery and out of the rebellion and out of the sin. His love changes you. You're taking a shine. You're taking his shine. So as we look at 1 Peter this morning, I just kind of summarized the first 12 verses there. And, and, and Peter says now, he says, because you have this Jesus in you, let me remind you of some of the really great things that are going on in your life. So there's five things that Peter says in this short little passage. He says, because you have Jesus, you get a new mindset. Number two, you get a new focus. Number three, you get a new goal. Number four, you get a new identity. And number five, you get a new lifestyle. All right? It's all wrapped up in this one little concept called holiness. Now, we have to be careful with that word holiness. Because if we're not careful, the world is going to define holiness for us. And you know how the world defines holiness? What does a holy person look like to someone who doesn't follow Jesus? Well, it's that stuffy, stuffed up um, person who, who thinks they're better than I am. And they, they have their nose in the air. And they're afraid to have fun because they're afraid of sinning. That's how the world defines holiness. 
They're afraid of living because they're afraid of sin. But that's, that's not God's definition. You know how God defines holiness? According to God, holiness is just someone who looks like him. That's all that it is. It's just starting to look a little bit more like Jesus. That's holiness in a nutshell. Like, as you begin to hang around with Jesus a little bit more, as you begin to pray and let his word soak into you, you're going to become a little bit more like him. As Jesse is hanging around Rosie, the more that she's starting to become beautiful because of his love for her. She's taken a shine. The more you and I let God become a part of our lives, the more we yield ourselves to him, the more that we're going to start looking at like him. That's, that's holiness. That's all that it is. It's just looking like Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this about holiness. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Simply irresistible. Yeah, the real thing. So I got a picture of me and a Coke bottle up there. Uh, Irresistible. And I got my Coke. Uh, Sorry, I shouldn't uh, get sidetracked like that. But the real thing with Jesus is like it's so great that why would you go back to the darkness? Why would you go back to the sin? Why wouldn't you let Jesus change you? So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Holiness is simply allowing Jesus to have more and more of who you are. Becoming like him taking his shine. So observation number one is this. When Jesus starts shining in you, you get a new mindset. You start thinking differently. Peter says, think clearly. See, minds that aren't alert and prepared for action are just not Christian minds. Back in 1611, you know how they translated this? (laughs) Gird up the loins of thy mind, okay? Gird up the loins of thy mind. It's like it doesn't make any sense to us, but back in the day it made perfect sense to them because all the people wore these cloaks, tunics or whatever they they called them, and they went down like probably mid-calf or lower, okay? So they were a little careful about showing off too much leg. And uh, if if they had to do something strenuous, what they would do, is they take all that lowing, long flowing part of their, of their robe and they would, they would tuck it up into, the, into their belt. There was actually a whole procedure to it. Um, if you want to go online and see how to gird up your loins, you can, you can do that and maybe borrow your mom's dress or something. I don't, I don't know what, what you do in your own uh, COVID isolation is up to you. But that's what they did. They girded up their loins. When it talks about Elijah the prophet on Mount Carmel. Remember, remember the, the showdown on Mark, Mount Carmel? The thing I love about that is that it says that Elijah Elijah girded up his loins, he tucked his, his, tucked his tunic up into his belt, and then he outran King Ahab's chariot all the way back to, was it Shechem, I think? From Mount Carmel all the way to, to Shechem or somewhere like that, girding up their loins. Now, so that's, ride like the wind, bullseye, ride like the wind. You know, yeah, okay, so enough about girding up their loins. Um, Gerald was wondering how I was going to talk about that in a Mennonite church and not get myself into trouble. So here's what I want you to know. Is it, is it really the way that you think is so important. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your minds. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12. And so, and so, so much of what goes on in your life that messes you up, it all happens right here, right? It's, it's like start, starting to get control of what's going on between your ears is one of the biggest challenges. Redeeming your thoughts and taking your thoughts captive. And so when you come to Christ, that's one of the things that Christ does. Your mind's going to wander unless you get to under control. And once you start to chase after this mindset of Jesus, you just say, Jesus, show me how you think. 
about this particular issue. Just show me how you, th- I know how I think, show me how you think. Now, someone challenged me this week that I needed to write an email to my member of parliament, kind of expressing, kind of reminding them about churches and some of the things that we were hoping for. And, and I sat down to write this email to my member of parliament, and my own mind, my fleshly mind, was full of anger, and, and I wanted to just lash out, and I wanted to let him have it. And, and I just, I kind of went to myself, that's not, that's not going to be cool. Like, seriously. So I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, could you, could you take over my mind and show me how to think the way that you think? And so once he did that, then I wrote my email, completely different email. And I actually got a personal email back from my member of parliament. So it was encouraging to him, even though I shared some of my concerns as well, but just, just to allow Jesus. I don't do it perfectly, so I, I like to share with you some of the positive uh, ways that I'm doing it, but I, I'm struggling with this sometimes too. But man, if you're going to be strong in these days of immense moral confusion, you need to allow Jesus to give you a new mindset. Jesus, teach me how you think about these things. Now, the second thing Peter says, because you have Jesus, you have something new to set your sights on. You have a new focus. The scripture says, exercise self-control. And that means that you don't rely on some of the sinful ways that you relied on in, in the past. I mean, in the Greek, this word literally connects to being free from the influence of wine. That's what it literally comes from, wine free. And, and, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are drinking a lot during COVID, right? And there's, there's other ways, there other, other things that we rely on um, to, to shape us. And, and God's saying, no, like you need to be free of these sorts of things. These are things that can drag us away from God, cloud our moral and spiritual judgment, cause us to lower our standards and compromise our values. But here's the thing, I, I don't, I don't want to get legalistic with you here. I just don't. Like, you start making up a list of rules that you have to follow, and the next thing you know, you're upset with everybody else who's not following your list of rules. That's not what Christianity is all about. To me, what, well, when I read this, I, I think to myself, what I need to do is I need to look at Jesus, and I need to say, Jesus, can you show me the one thing in my life that is distracting me from you? Whatever it is. And it might be different for you than it is from the next person. It might be something the other person doesn't even struggle with and God's bringing it to to your attention. And you're just saying, Lord, like, I I just want want to pay attention to you, Jesus. And if there's something that's taking my attention off of you, I want to deal with that. I want to take appropriate steps. It might be a wrong friendship. It might be a harmful TV show. It might be your work atmosphere. It might be your need for acceptance. I, I don't know what it is in your life. But a new mindset says, Jesus, teach me how to think the way that you think. And a a new focus says, Jesus, show me what is distracting me from you. Just that one thing. And I'll work on that this week. I'll work on bringing that into submission to you. Sometimes it's, it's a really good thing. But it's not the best thing. And it keeps us, it kicks our focus off of Jesus. So when you have Jesus, you have this new focus. Third way that you see that inner space changing is you get a new goal. Looking forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Now there's one or two of you, I won't point you out, that are probably old enough to remember, but for the most of us, we've read about um, 
the, the man on the moon, right? And the Apollo moon mission and, and the United States putting a man on the moon in 1969. And if you've read about that or you remember it, you probably realize that all of it, all of it started with a speech that John F. Kennedy, the president in 1961, gave a speech, Man on the Moon. And I encourage you, if you want to go online this week and look that up, you can actually listen to it. It's about the length of a sermon. It's about 33 minutes long, and it's really, really inspiring, okay? This is what President Kennedy says at the very end of it. He says, space is there, and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes and new knowledge and new peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask for God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure that mankind has ever embarked upon. And they did it. Eight years later, the whole nation shifted its focus because of that speech and set itself a new goal. And they achieved that goal. When you get Jesus into your life, you set a new goal. Paul says, I count everything else as garbage for this one thing, that I might know him. That's that's your goal as a Christian, is is to come to know Jesus more and more and more. You get this new goal. Like, there's no point climbing all the way to the top of the ladder only to find that you've leaned your ladder against the wrong wall. Am I right? Like, so many of us spend so much time and energy on other goals, an end to COVID or paid off mortgage, a new car, a good retirement fund, 27 happy and healthy children. That's all. They're all good goals, but they're not the main goal. You know what the main goal is? The main goal is when Jesus comes back and and he evaluates the, the length and the breadth of your life and he looks at you and he says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come enter into your father's joy. That's a goal we're chasing after. Well done. Doesn't everything that you're going through, doesn't it kind of all start to make a little bit of sense if you start to think about that moment when your king of kings is going to look at you and say, well done. That's a goal. Jesus, show me how you think about things, a new mindset. Jesus, show me the things that are distracting me from you, uh, a new focus. Jesus, remind me of the day of your return. A new goal. Fourthly, it says, you get a new identity. You get a new identity. Obedient children. I love that. And that just, those two words together are just so amazing, right? That's all we need to say, obedient children. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better back then, but now you have to be holy in everything you do because God who chose you to be his children is holy. Peter calls these Christians obedient children. And man, if, you've, if you're a parent 
you know exactly about this, right? When, when your child is obedient, it just brings such a peace. Like when your child is making good decisions, you just, you feel like you've achieved something as a parent. You can rest at night. You don't, you don't have this ongoing angst and, and you just, your whole world is right. When people look at you and say, man, you have good kids. Like there's hardly a higher compliment that you can give a parent. And it's just, it's just like, it's shalom, right? <laughs> and then there's, and then there's Josiah. Just kidding. <laughs> there's those moments as parents when our kids are not being obedient. And you just feel that, don't you, as a parent? You, you hurt and you long for them because you think your life would go so much better if you were, you'd be obedient. But all of us, just we've had those moments as parents when we're just, we love our children. But oh, Lord, you know? We've all had those moments where we've taken our little girl and thrown her over our shoulder and we're walking out the church and she's yelling out loud, don't pank me, don't pank me, don't pank me. Shout out to Mike and Lolita. And Samantha, if you're listening to this, you've turned into a beautiful young woman, so that's good to know. Don't you feel that as a parent? And I wonder, I just wonder sometimes, I wonder if God's world gets turned topsy-turvy when he starts thinking about his disobedience. I wonder, I wonder if he's the same kind of dad that I am. And then when my kids are making wrong decisions, it just tears me up inside. Here is children. Be obedient children. You have Jesus living in you. You have a living hope. You have a new strength, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of being. Do you know what you were before you came to Jesus? <laughs> of course you do, right? You were lost in the darkness. You were blind, groping around without knowledge. You were doomed, destined for wrath. You were ignorant, and you just didn't even know any better. But now, you know better. You're no longer lost. You're no longer in the darkness. You're a child of God. So live like it. Don't, don't try living like, like children of darkness and start following their character and their, their traits. Don't, don't get sucked into that. You've got, a, you've got a dad who loves you. Start living like it. Jesus, show me how you think about things, a new mindset. Jesus, show me what's distracting me from you, a new focus. Jesus, show me the day of your return, a new goal. Jesus, show me how to live as your child because that's who I am, a new identity. And then the fifth thing is Peter talks to these believers about conquering the inner spaces of their lives. He says this, be holy as I am holy. You get a new lifestyle. A couple centuries before Jesus came along, there was this conqueror named Alexander the Great. And he came out of Macedonia, and him and his armies conquered much of the Mediterranean world. He wasn't a Christian, and he didn't know it at the time, but God was using him. And, and he was the one that brought the whole Greco-Roman culture to the, to the known world and paved the way for the Roman Empire, the place that Jesus and the disciples would minister in. 
So anyways, they're on one of these campaigns, and, and word comes through one of the generals up, up, to, up to Alexander the Great that, that there's this soldier in the, in the army, and, and this one particular soldier is being really rebellious. He is disobeying all the rules. He's gone AWOL. He's leading others down that path. He's just being a poor example of what a good Greek soldier should be. And to make matters worse, this soldier shares the same name as Alexander the Great. When Alexander hears this, he says, bring him to me. We want to have a talk with him. Just him and me. So they all leave the tent, and this young soldier is standing before Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great looks at him and says, what is your name, soldier? Alexander, sir. What is your name, soldier? Name is Alexander, sir. What is your name, soldier? Well, it's the same as yours. It's Alexander. He looks at him and he says, soldier, either change your behavior or change your name. Christian, little Christ's. Either change your behavior or change your name. Don't change your name. Change your behavior. You're a child of God. Just start acting like one. Jesus, show me how you think about things, a new mindset. Jesus, show me what's distracting me from you, a new focus. Jesus, show me the day of your return, a new goal. Jesus, show me how to live as your child, a new identity. And Jesus, just show me you, a new lifestyle. Think clearly. And exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you're his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better back then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself has said to you, you must be holy because I am holy. We do live in a mixed up world. This week I listened to a message by Sam Collier, pastor in southern states somewhere. It was pretty inspiring. So I did a bunch of research on Sam Collier and I discovered that he's got a blog and he wrote a response to the recent demonstrations that happened in Washington. I liked it. I want to share it with you as we close today. Sam writes this. He says, what we face today is an emotionally ruled generation blinded by our own perspective. We are concerned with only our own immediate outcome. We have lost our way. We have forgotten about empathy and become comfortable with individualism. And until our love for all trumps our love for self, we will continue to fight each other instead of for each other. Whether Democrat or Republican, rich or poor, gay or straight, male or female, we must come together. If we do not... I believe that our collective destiny will reflect that which Dr. King warned about in his famous quote, saying, we must learn to live together as brothers or we will die together as fools. This world simply has nothing to offer you. It has nothing to give you. This world has conquered outer space, but not inner space. Peter encourages us to allow the Spirit of Christ to move within us richly, to dwell within us, to, to take charge of our life and to change us. And this is the true model of Christian living.
to be like Jesus. I mean, if God is our Father, shouldn't there be a family resemblance? Holiness is simply letting Jesus be Jesus in your life. Jesus when I wake up. Jesus as I get dressed. Jesus around the breakfast table. Jesus on the way to work. Jesus in the classroom. Jesus in the showroom. Jesus in the office. Jesus in the factory. Jesus at lunchtime. Jesus during the break. Jesus on the way home. Jesus at supper table. Jesus while watching TV. Jesus while reading the email. Jesus while checking Facebook. Jesus on the phone. Jesus at bedtime. Jesus when I sleep. And Jesus in the morning all over again. Jesus in every detail. Jesus in every place. Jesus in every relationship. Jesus in every word. Jesus in every thought. Jesus in every deed. Jesus in my private moments, Jesus when I'm with my friends, Jesus when I'm with my enemies, Jesus when I'm happy, and Jesus when I'm sad, Jesus when I'm depressed, Jesus in my faith, Jesus in my doubts, Jesus when I succeed, Jesus when I fail, Jesus above me, Jesus below me, Jesus before me, Jesus behind me, Jesus all around me, Jesus always and forever, Jesus in my heart, Jesus on my mind, Jesus in my deepest thoughts, always Jesus, always there, always with me, now and forever. This is true holiness. This is true joy. This is the purpose for which you were created This is your inner space, Jesus. So if you want to be holy, then you simply surrender your inner space to Jesus. Begin there, and your life will change, and the world around you will also change. Pastor Darren. That was a very long and complicated way of saying this. I'm just teasing. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. The words of Jesus to Nicodemus as they sat together in the dark, and Jesus and Nicodemus had a talk that one night many years ago. Jesus is bringing light into the world. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark. And Jesus has called us to step into the light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity through truth that you've given for us to live life in the light. And thank you that you came to bring light into this world. Holiness the ability, Lord, to live differently than anyone else, to be completely set apart. Thank you, Lord, that you set that example for us by the life that you lived, that you lived counter to the way that everyone else existed. Your life was complete love and sacrifice. It was visibly different to the point that it drew thousands of people to come see because it was unlike anything anyone else knew. 
I thank you, Lord, for this morning and the call for me and my church to live this way, to love so radically and to live so faithfully for you that it is set apart from every other person on this earth, that we would shine our lights before men and they would see our Father in heaven, that it would bring you the glory. You've called us to live like you. Give us, Lord, the strength to do that today, to pursue you, to show this world what you look like through our lives. Whether we're a teenager or a mom or a grandma, whether we're a young adult, whatever we are, Lord Jesus, be with your church, Lord. Encourage your church and inspire them to live in the light. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.